Please turn in God's word, if you would, to Romans chapter 11. And for any of you that are joining us, we are working our way through Romans, looking at the attributes of God, the character of God is revealed in this book. And as you're turning there, I want to share a, a story. It's an old fable from India. And the story is about six men who were blind from birth, so they'd never seen anything. And these men came into a palace, and they walked into the courtyard of the palace, and what they couldn't see before them was an elephant. Never been around an elephant before. They bumped into this elephant. The first blind man felt the side of this elephant, didn't know what it was, and says, it feels like, feels like a wall. Another blind man bumped into another part of the elephant. It was the trunk, and he's, he's feeling the trunk. He says, it actually feels like a snake. Another blind man reached out and grabbed hold of the, the tusk. He said, actually, I think it's a spear. I feel what's like a spear. And another blind man felt the ear of the elephant. He says, no, 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 guys, I think this is a fan. Another one was reaching down around the, the legs, those massive legs of the elephant, and said, this, guys, this feels like a tree. And then the blind man over here reached out and grabbed the tail, and he's feeling the tail, and at the end of it he says, guys, I think this is a rope. So each of those blind men were only touching a part, only one aspect, and they were going off of what they felt, and they, they all misunderstood, and, and they they actually didn't know what it was they were bumping into. Each of them had an incomplete and incorrect conclusion just by one part without the whole. And God has no body parts, but if we only touch or know one attribute of God, for example, God is love, that's one that our, everyone seems to know. But if we don't know these other aspects of him, we're going to have wrong thoughts. We're going to have wrong conclusions about who he is and, and how big he is and and. All of those blind men were actually in danger, and they didn't know it. As they came close, they were in danger at that elephant. They could have been crushed by that elephant. And it is a danger for us as well as we come near to God to, to go by our feelings or to just try to think of something in our world to, that God would be like. When he says through our scripture reading earlier, there is nothing and no one like me. We need to not think of what we like to think of God like. To the spiritually blind, the book of Romans is written to help us to see God fully and truly as He is. And we've been looking at these truths about God through these 11 chapters, but I want us to look at Romans 11.22 now. As there's a new word and there's a new truth we haven't looked at yet. Romans 11.22 says, Note... And the usual translation is, of that word is see the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. We've seen that word kindness before, goodness, in some translations in Romans 
2, and Romans 5, I believe, as well, and Romans 8. We actually spent a couple of messages looking at that, but God's Word, through this word severity, also calls us to see this truth, this attribute of God. And so this is where we're going to be studying today as we work our way through Romans and everything it says about God. We don't pick and choose truths. In fact, this might not be a truth that you would just choose to consider and and meditate on, but we are commanded here to take special note of God's severity as well as his kindness. In fact, the NASB has, behold then the kindness and severity of God. We need to behold this. The New King James says, consider therefore the goodness and severity of of God. We need to consider these things together. We, we sang earlier, it's, it's from Revelation 5, that he is the lion and the lamb at the same time. He is both lion and lamb. And as C.S. Lewis wrote, he's good, but he isn't safe. He's good, but he is not safe. He is not a tame lion. C.S. Lewis writes, people who have never been in Narnia can't imagine something can be good and terrible at the same time. But that's the truth about God that we see in this verse here. Martin Lloyd-Jones asked the question, how much do we know about the severity of God? How much time have we given to a consideration of the severity of God? We are hearing less and less about this. This is, I think, in the 1950s or 60s. He says, we're hearing less and less about the severity, the justice, the wrath of God upon sin. And he says, this is where all our troubles come from. This is why the church is as she is. There are many churches who will not be preaching this today, but we are preaching this today because it is in the text before us. We must preach this. And so what I want us to do looking at this passage is behold God's severity as we're commanded to. Be humbled And fear, this goes hand in hand with the fear of the Lord that Pastor Corey prayed for. And then be hopeful in the gospel. And I was thinking, even as we sang those words, I was looking at those words, kings and nations tremble at his voice. That's that's beholding his severity and fearing. And then it says, all creation rises to rejoice. That's the joy and the hope that we have in the gospel as we behold his severity and his goodness As we behold our God, as we behold Him, we need to behold His severity here in the text. Not just God's kindness, but His severity. We're called to consider both. And it says, His severity, look at the middle of the verse, His severity to those who have fallen. That's the word fallen in Hebrews 6, for those who have fallen away from the faith and and do not repent and will not repent. Jesus used this word, fallen, for the Jews who did not want him to rule over them. They rejected him, and he spoke of a judgment that was coming on Israel. There would be a a slaughter and severe judgment of Jerusalem. That's in Luke 19. And he said in Luke 20, in the same context, that those religious leaders who were making their showy prayers, lengthy prayers, taking advantage of, of widows... He says, they will be judged most severely. Those who act all pious but don't really care for others, there is severe judgment. Paul's using this language to say, we need to behold 
the severity. Consider the severity of God. This word also had the idea of something that was sharp. So Paul and Titus, one is telling Timothy of the false teachers, rebuke them sharply. It's the same root word. The idea had, this word had the idea of sharpness or swiftness. And literally it was the idea of being cut off. It's something that is cut off. We need to behold God's severity, how he can severely and swiftly act, abruptly act at times to cut off sinners. This word severe is related to, even in English, the word sever. When something is severed like a limb or a branch that is cut. My new favorite tool on our property is a pole saw. And because you can, you can stand far away and you can cut these limbs, these dead limbs. You can sever them and they can fall down. You can even stand on your roof and, and do this. It makes my family nervous, but you can, you can cut these limbs and these branches down and then you can throw them in a, in a burn pile. That's how this, this word is the word you would have used for, for cutting off branches that were dead, that they, would be, they were maybe even breaking off. You could tell there was no more fruit or no more life in them and you're, you're cutting them off. You're severing them. Be, behold how God severs is the language. And there's a warning in verse, end of verse 22 that you too can be cut off like Israel was in Bible times. You too who are religious people like those religious ones of Israel who were religious but did not have a real relationship with the Lord. This is a warning. Verse 19, then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. He's talking to the Gentiles here who saw what God had done with, with Israel. So many of them rejected the Lord. Not all of them, but many of them were, were, were broken off. But then the Gentiles then become grafted into the church. So he says that is true, verse 20. They were broken off because of their unbelief, those who were unbelievers. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. Why should we fear? Verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, as unbelieving Israel, neither will he spare you. If you do not believe like them. Verse 22. Note then. This is the context. Note then, or consider, behold, the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. This is a warning to, to those who are among God's people but do not have true saving faith. If you continue in his kindness, the idea there is if you continue in it by faith. That's what verse 20 is talking about. Stand fast through faith. Stay connected to the Lord. Here's one dynamic equivalent translation of verse 22. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe toward those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. We're reminded here that true saving faith is not temporary and will not fall away permanently. We're also reminded that not all who profess faith possess true saving faith. There are some who won't continue. Jesus told the parable of the seed that is sown, and, and there are some that, 
that looked like there was something there, but then it was temporary and it was taken away. They were, the language of this text and that text is that they were never truly saved. But that word cut off is a sober word. It's, it's used of John the Baptist. He used it to warn Israel's leaders of God's severity in Matthew 3 when he, he talked about fleeing the wrath to come. He says, repent and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He says, even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. I don't know if you've ever chopped down a tree with an axe, but when I was in Ecuador, there were, we were in the jungle there, and there was a tree, and, and we actually took turns with some of the, the people there that lived in the jungle to cut down this tree with, with an axe and, and cutting down at the root and, and, and cutting down the, the tree. And, and what John is saying here is that the axe is already it's laid there. You, you would lay the axe and you would kind of put a spot there where you were going to swing again and, and strike the, the, the tree. And he says the axe, it's already there. It's already laid to the root. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And John says he will burn with unquenchable fire. And this is tree imagery, just like Romans 11. The fruitless and the faithless will be broken and burned. And so Paul is saying, behold the severity of God. We need to think about this, even though it may not be something we, we contemplate naturally. We need to behold the severity. We need to be repentant. Because those who are not repentant ultimately will be cut down and will be cast into eternal and unquenchable fire. The kingdom of God is at hand, John said. And part of the kingdom being at hand is his kindness is near. But if you don't continue in it, if you don't bear good fruit from it in repentant faith. God's acts of judgment will sever. We don't know when. We don't know when our day is, but that day will come. And the word repent means a 180 degree turn. So you're walking this way and then you turn now and you're seeking to walk this way. You're, you're fleeing from your sin. You're seeking to follow Christ by grace. Turning from sin to the Savior. And this word sever was used of Jesus, or this word cut off, severing a, a hand from the body. He says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and, and throw it away. In other words, deal drastically with whatever's causing you to sin. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. That's Matthew 5 30. This is serious language for the most severest judgment, everlasting, conscious. Punishment is how Jesus spoke of it. Hell is for real, forever. But if you repent, you can flee the wrath to come. If you sever your sin before it severs you from God, cut off whatever sin would make God cut you off. Behold, behold the severity of God. Behold the kindness of God at the same time. That he is kind. He is actually kind to show his severity. He's kind that we would contemplate these things. That we would think of where we are with him before it is too late. Just because you've been sitting in church for many years does not make you safe. We need to contemplate these things. Where is your heart before the Lord? 
And if you realize your life is not right with the Lord, you, you might be religious but don't have a relationship. The word of the Lord to you is flee, that wrath is to come. Flee to Christ in faith. Trust his loving kindness. Look back at Romans 2, verse 4. Romans 2, verse 4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness? There's that word again in forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent or, or unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. That's God's severity. Behold his kindness, but don't presume on his, his kindness. There is a day of severe wrath coming for the unrepentant who reject his kindness. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. If we know these things, if we think of these things, we need to persuade others of this truth. Proverbs 15.10 says, there is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. There can be discipline even for those who believe who forsake the way. Some translations use this word severe, though it's often used of judgment on, on unbelievers, like a very severe fire of judgment. How God struck dead the greedy, complaining Israelites with a very severe plague is the language. And the most graphic, I was reading this in Revelation 16. Revelation 16 talks about every living thing in the sea dying, heat that is scorching sinners, cities of nations falling, and here's the language, in a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. And it, it talks about, this, listen to this language, every island fled away. And no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds, fell each from heaven on people. Can you imagine this? Islands go away. Mountains are down. This is second coming wrath. Great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And this is what it says. They cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. And even then, these are not atheists here. These are, these are people who are angry at God and cursing him even as he's pouring out wrath. But it's not just people who curse God or people living in end times. Hebrews 10, 26 says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Listen to this. How much more severely, there's that word severely, how much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant. The end of Hebrews 10 says, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It is a terrifying thing to fall into his hands of his severity if you are not in Christ. And I, I say this to you, I, I plead with you, if you are not in Christ, flee to Christ Today, turn to him today. Turn from your sin today. Behold God's severity. 
If you need help with that, talking to someone, there will be a brother or sister up here afterwards who could talk with you. I would love to talk with you and pray with you. Behold God's severity. That's number one. And number two, be humble and fear. How should this affect us who are in Christ, who believe? We should be humbled. We should fear the Lord. Fear can mean dread. It can also mean a, a deepest reverence. It can mean you're driven to your knees in Scripture. If you look back at Romans 3, verse 18, after talking about how we're all fallen in sin and all deserve the severity of God cutting us off, Romans 3.18 is the summarizing statement, there is no fear of God before their eyes. It's a catalog of sin in verses 10 through 17. But verse 18 is the climactic conclusion on our condition without Christ. The problem is we don't fear God. Before salvation, there is no fear of God, but it's grace that actually taught our hearts to fear. There is a fear that comes by grace. And if you go back to Romans 11, if you behold his severity, his, how God is severe, you will be humble and you will fear. Look at Romans 11:20. Right before our text, the end of the verse says, So do not become proud, but fear. If anything should humble us, if anything should cause us to fear the Lord, it's, it's remembering who he is and, and where we would be but for the grace of God. So before it gets to wisdom in verse 33, it starts with the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. Behold God's Severity, And if you are in Christ, be humbled. Be humbled that he hasn't cut you off because you're not any better than any of those Jews in Bible times. Don't ever think you're better in any way. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant towards the branches, he says earlier. Fear God. What's the whole duty of man in Ecclesiastes 12? Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And there will be a judgment day, says there at the end of Ecclesiastes 12. So fear your creator in the days of your youth. Young people, this is important. In the days of your youth, fear your creator. And think about what your creator did. Think of his power in Genesis. Think of also the, the flood in Genesis that, that cut off all life that was outside the ark. And as we go into Exodus, think of the, the God of Exodus who brings these severe plagues. That's the language, and he strikes down the firstborn of Egypt and strikes down and cuts off their army in, in the Red Sea. But also with his people, he thunders at Mount Sinai. And his, his people, they fear the Lord. And that fear was to keep them from sinning. In the book of Numbers, the next number, there's these fear, fearless grumblers who had their days numbered in the book of Numbers. Remember when the ground opened them up? It swallowed them. And we need to realize we've grumbled a lot of times, and we're still alive. In Deuteronomy, the law called for sinners to be stoned for certain offenses so that others would fear. And so again, if we are not in Christ, we are to be afraid. We're to be very afraid. And that's not just the Old Testament. In the book of Acts chapter 5, Ananias was cut off in God's severity. Peter said, you 
You have not lied to man, but to God. And it says, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard. And then three hours later, Sapphira comes, doesn't know what happens. She repeats the lie of her husband, and it says, immediately... She fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And it says this, great fear came upon the whole church. The believers of the church, there was fear that came upon them and all who heard of these things in their community. None of the rest dared join them. Behold, God's severity. And maybe you, you read that and you feel, well, that's severe. What we should feel is that fear that they had in Acts chapter 5 because I've lied, you've lied, we've all lied. The wages of sin is death. That's what's due for sin. And so don't ask, why is God so severe? I think what we need to ask is, why am I still here? Because I'm not any better. It's all of, of grace. My sin deserves to be judged severely and swiftly. And so does yours. And yet here we are still breathing. We got up this morning and we were still breathing. We were able to come to church. Not because we're better than others. But because of God's kindness. As we behold his severity. But also his kindness. That we are still alive. That's his grace. Be humble. And fear, John Newton said it was grace that taught my heart to fear. And he says, how precious did that grace appear. It's a precious and wonderful thing. Grace is amazing. And grace is humbling. If you behold God's severity, God's wrath that you deserve. And that this day, if you are in Christ, you are experiencing the opposite of that wrath and that severity because of Christ. That should humble you. That should humble me. God says, thus says the Lord, Isaiah 66, this is the one to whom I will look. In other words, there's one type of person God looks on with favor. This is what God says. This is who I look to in that way. Him who is humble and contrite of spirit, broken of spirit, and who trembles at my word. That's the person God's looking for. That's the person God looks to bless. Someone who's humble. Someone who's repentant, broken over their sin. Someone who is trembling at God's word. And then he says in Isaiah 6, 6, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at my word. We need to hear and fear. We need to be humble. We need to tremble. We sang earlier about trembling at his voice. Trembling at his voice. How great is our God when we behold him in awe and wonder and the rolling thunder, even in creation. There's all these reminders of his bigness and his greatness. And when God gave his law in the Ten Commandments, at the end of it, there was great fear and trembling. And God says this, Exodus 20, 20. The fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. 
We talk about 2020 vision. Well, here's a 2020, Exodus 2020. This is what we need to see. The fear of God is actually what keeps you from sinning. There's a wrong kind of fear where we fall away from God, where we're just afraid and, and, and we, we go and we hide like Adam and Eve in the garden, but there's this godly fear. This godly fear falls on its face toward God. Spurgeon ex- explained it this way, the right fear falls forward to God, not away from God. We fall on our, on our face toward God. We know he's our only hope. We bow before him. We come before him. We come lowly before him, but we, we come to him rather than away from him. That's the right kind of fear. It's recognizing who he is and who we are not. And you fall to him. I would encourage you, there's a, some verses in your bulletin and your note sheet handout on fearing God. This is something I don't think we talk enough about or think enough about as Christians, but there's some verses there to look at to discuss or dive deeper in your own study. What does it mean to, to fear God? It, fearing God is, is the fountain of life in Proverbs. It's, it's the beginning of wisdom and all these good things. We need to study what it means to fear God. But here's just one of those. Proverbs eight thirteen defines it this way. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. God says in Jeremiah thirty-two forty, I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. So this fear of God in our hearts keeps us from turning away to sin. To, to have a healthy fear of the God to hear, of the Lord is to hate evil. It's to hate sin in us. To hate what it does to our relationship with God as we're believers. As believers, we don't fear that we will lose our salvation. We, we fear grieving the Spirit who seals our salvation. Ephesians 4, verse 30. talks about He's sealed you. He's guaranteed your salvation. And, and so he says, don't grieve the Spirit. Don't grieve the very one who secures you in Christ. Why would we want to grieve the Father or grieve the Son or, or displease the Father who has adopted us and loves us so I fear sin that would disqualify me from service or discredit the name of Christ. And you should have a, a healthy fear in that sense. I don't want to do anything that would discredit your cause. So behold God's severity. Be humbled and fear and then be hopeful in the gospel. You guys were hoping I would get to this third point, I think. So was I. Be hopeful in the gospel, Romans eleven twenty two, New King James, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fail severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. How do we continue in his goodness? It's by trusting his good news. Romans 1, 16 says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for, for all who believe. And that's a continual present tense participle, those who are continually believing in the good news. This is, there is continual power in the gospel. This is for Christians. We as Christians need the gospel. It's a continual power for us as we continue to believe it. The gospel is not just a power for those who are not saved. It's the power for us who are believing now. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 1 as well. And Romans 5 says, as we continue in his goodness, there is hope in salvation. 
There's hope even in suffering. There is good news that God is working all things together for good, Paul said in Romans 8. And even in suffering, even in loss. Last Sunday night, a few of you might know this, but there was, at the graduation, there was a man named D.J. Matson who was graduating with us. He was a, f- a few people in front of me in the line. And as I kind of neared the front of the line, he, after he received his diploma, he collapsed as he came down the steps of the stage. And he had been battling cancer, had some health issues. They stopped the service. They prayed for him. They took him out. But we found out later that night, DJ, actually, as he graduated from seminary, he graduated into glory at the same time. And this was a man that shared his testimony in chapel just two weeks earlier. And he was talking about some of his health struggles and still awaiting results. In his, but he said, here's my verse, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he just talked about his, his, his faith and hope in the gospel and Christ and it's moving to, to watch that. Many people have watched his testimony, but here's, here's a man who, and think of his wife, Judy. This is someone we need to be, we need to pray for Judy. Imagine what that would have been like for her to witness that, but as we think of DJ, his loss is gain. He's in heaven right now, and, and those are the sort of things that we We wonder why, but we know that God is working good. He is already working good in that situation. Some of it we may hear about, others we may not, but there is hope in the gospel amid loss. But I'll tell you, seeing there, being there, seeing that happen, and then all everything else in the the graduation and the call towards ministry and what we're called to do, there's a, there's a sobriety, there is an urgency. I am thinking more about eternity than ever because none of us know when our day is. And we think of, we have our thoughts, we have our questions, but there's no question God is at work in those things. There is gospel hope amid those things, but there is an urgency also as we think about this message, as we think about the gospel that we need to be telling others And we also know there are a number in this room who have also experienced losing a loved one, and there is a severe loss in that, and we need to keep walking with and supporting and praying for. And also to know there's hope in the gospel. There's hope in the gospel of God as it work, as we behold these severe things, as we behold his kindness. We ultimately can look back to the cross and see goodness and kindness at the same time. The most severe death ever. We see the greatest good coming out of as Jesus was cut off for us on the cross. He died that severe death. The good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep and his goodness and his mercy will follow us all the days of our life. Jesus faced God's severe wrath so that we can face his sweet kindness eternally. This is what it's all about. In Romans 11, there's hope. 
There's hope in this context, even for Jews who long refuse, it's not hopeless. This is the context of Romans 11.22, Behold the severity of God in, in cutting off Israel, but behold His goodness in grafting them back in the future, saving them and many Gentiles in the end. Verse 24, For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. And then he quotes from the prophets. This this salvation is tied to the goodness of God, even after centuries of hopelessness. Listen to Hosea 3, verse 4. Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice. It's been many days since they had a king. It's, It's been many centuries since 70 A.D. when sacrifices ceased. But it says this, After those many days the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God. They shall come in fear to the Lord and to His goodness in the latter days. In the last days. They will come to the Lord, to His goodness. Behold the goodness of the Lord. Romans eleven twenty seven quotes God's covenant promise to take away their sin. And the Old Testament also connects that with, with goodness and godly fear. Like Jeremiah 32, God says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will, I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land. Behold God's goodness. And he says right before that, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and wrath. So we behold his severity. But he says, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and for the good of their children. Behold his goodness as well. Jeremiah 33, 9 says, The Gentiles will behold God's goodness to the Jews in the end. It says, All the nations of the earth shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good that I provide Israel. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel, Judah will be saved. That's the hope of the ages that launches Paul's praise as we come to the end of this section in Romans 11. That was the great Puritan hope. Ian Murray writes about that. Even The Westminster Directory of Public Worship and larger catechism pray for that event to come. We can go back century to century in in church history. But just go back to verse 12 here, where the end of the verse talks about their full inclusion in the future tense. In the middle of verse 15, speaking of Israel, says, What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? This is the hope of the gospel that we have, too, is... Paul says in Ephesians 2, you who were Gentiles, you were cut off from those covenant blessings. You were separate from Israel. You were hopeless. But God, when we were dead, made us alive so that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Christ who died in the most severe way on Good Friday, where it seemed hopeless for those disciples that weekend, The gospel says on the third day, Behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. 
For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone. And it says the guards shook for fear because of him. And they became like dead men. And then angels come and they tell the women he is risen indeed. And it says they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. And they ran to report it. We should go from here as well with fear and great joy. Fear and joy can go together. Because we can pray like Psalm 119, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord. Or even Psalm 118, 18. If we felt his discipline, the Lord has disciplined me severely, but he's not given me over to death. So if we haven't been given over to death, we can say this. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And then Psalm 118 ends with, give thanks to the Lord for he is what? Good. Behold his goodness. As well as his severity. And I want to close someone else we can be praying for. And that's our missionary Sandy Luciano who was with us just a few weeks ago when her husband Alan preached from here. I want to end with her words that she wrote this week. If you're on the prayer chain, you, you saw this prayer request, and there's also a, a link to what she wrote that I want to just read from, how this hope can work even in losing a loved one. She says, A couple of weeks ago, my dad and I exchanged some messages, and this is what she wrote to him. Since your diagnosis, I have found comfort in Jesus' power over the grave. Oh, death, where is your sting? And how the grave couldn't hold him. All of a sudden, my belief... My hope, she uses that word hope, in that sure and steadfast promise gives me hope. It's an aspect of my Savior. I didn't know personally, but now I do. The last couple years have been hard for my faith. My faith has been weaker because of the ramifications of lockdown and not having fellowship. If you were here when they shared, they they literally were in, in the Philippines where they were, hardly ever able to leave their home for many, many months. She says, part of me has slowly started to become numb and bitter at the distance. It feels like my Savior is from me, but your health and your path now has forced me to look up. This is part of what the the good that God does through difficult things. My faith um, to return to my Savior for the first time in a while, I can feel the gospel and the power of my Savior stir my heart and strengthen my weak knees. God works all things together for good to those who love him. So even in this awful pain, I can see goodness that awakens and strengthens my heart to again trust the promises of my Savior. So let's be hopeful in the gospel. Let's also be faithful to share this gospel, share these words with someone else. Let's pray. Our Father, I want to uplift right now Judy Sandy and their families. Lord, I also know there are difficulties going on in families here. And Lord, there's even difficult truths in your word. There's even things that are difficult to understand in your sovereign providence. But Lord, we trust you. We know you are good. And help us to speak of your good news. In Jesus' name. Amen.